Welcome to Stationary Adjacent, a podcast at the intersection of analog and digital productivity. I'm Justin Twyford and joined as always by my friend and co-host, Stu Lennon. Hey, Stu, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you, Justin. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Let's get right into the show. Uh, some follow-up. I had a DM from Lisa Spangenberg. I hope I'm saying that right. At uh, my Twitter account, which is at Stu Lennon, one word. And she commented on our little discussion about sabbaticals. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those rare things. This is a listener who knows exactly what they're talking about. So pay attention, Justin. And is happy to correct us. <laughs> exactly. The sabbatical is still fairly standard for tenured academics. You reach tenure, you work for six years, and in the seventh, i.e. sabbatical is cognate with Sabbath, you are relieved of all academic duties, teaching, supervision, departmental service, and are given typically three quarters of your usual salary. You're expected to use the time for research, and at the end of the year, you deliver a semi-formal report to your dean and chair. So there you are. That's the academic version of sabbatical. Yeah, doesn't that seem better than the ones we were thinking it was, where you were unpaid? Absolutely, yeah. It's, it's the, that's the real deal. And presumably, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to know, I guess a lot of good stuff comes out of academics on sabbatical. Mm-hmm. Very cool stuff. Uh, thank you, Lisa. We really appreciate that. Uh, correcting us when we're wrong. A- any of you want to reach out and tell us when we're wrong, because we probably are more times perhaps than we're right, <laughs> uh, just reach out to Stu on Twitter. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm the wrong department. He's got broad shoulders. He could take the criticism. <laughs> Get in touch with the wrong department. What about tool of the week? What's your tool of the week, Justin? All right. So uh, in case the audio sounds a little different, I got a new audio interface for my microphone to my computer today. And this is uh, hopefully when we move, I'm going to have my recording setup that I'm currently using in a different room. I'm recording in the middle of a music studio at the moment, which is great for me, but not that conducive to productivity talk. And so I'm going to have a separate music room and a separate office. And I wanted to have an independent system that I could just set up in my office. So I have a Mix Pre 6.2, which is a high-end audio interface. It does all kinds of neat stuff. I can have four people sitting together with separate microphones, each one coming in. It's, it's quite fancy. More than I will ever need, but it does have very, very good preamps for recording at the right volume and is highly rated. Uh, So thanks out to Jason DeFilippo at GOG, um, Grumpy Old Geeks podcast. We were talking gear and he was the one who recommended this. Um, So that is my new thing. And again, I apologize. I got this in yesterday, so I'm still trying to dial it in, but I have new buttons to push. I have green red yellow flashy lights it's 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 all very civilized actually oh, yeah you had me at flashy lights mm-hmm. and big red buttons Stu, yours is a little more uh, normal so what's your tool of the week well i'm i'm breaking all the rules as is my want uh and i'm repeating last week so analog the the, the index card system which i've been using <laughs> now for two whole weeks just without interruption and yeah it's just it's the simplicity that appeals uh it's a very simple way of keeping on task making sure you're doing the right things i i can say that this recording today is the penultimate the penultimate point 
on the card. Oh, uh, and then and then my day will be done. It's very exciting. Now it's a great tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is, as we've discussed, quite expensive, um, and it is sort of overly engineered, I guess. But it's just lovely, and so I enjoy using it. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely going to stick with the analog system cards. I've really taken a liking to the way they do that. Even with the extra cost, you can certainly get some perhaps cheaper alternatives, but uh, they are really nice. They're super thick and they stand up so nicely. Mm. And so anybody that's looking at it, really, this is, it's a premium product, but it is a really good one. I, I just have one question before you, Stu. Are you doing this at night or are you doing this in the morning when you're organizing your day? It varies, to be honest. Uh, it depends what's actually happening. Today, I would envisage that Tomorrow will be mostly set up by the time I, I leave the office. Mm-hmm. But yesterday, I was out. So uh, there was the European football semi-final, uh, and we went to watch it with a friend's house. And so the end of the day sort of finished uh, in a rush, and so I didn't do any. And I did my planning this morning. Hold, hold on, hold on a sec, hold on a sec. We have to, mm. we have to dissect this a little bit, okay? Uh, because I've heard before that you don't actually know what this soccer thing is football, whatever you call it over on that side of the Atlantic, and that you have little to no interest in it, and yet you went and watched it. Pray tell. Well, well, it all comes in, oh, this is a little cultural tangent. So the United Kingdom, as listeners will be aware, is made up of several countries, countries that are countries in a very sort of odd way. So the United Kingdom functions as a country, even though it's made up of several countries. There, go work that out. I sound English. My accent is uh, fairly middle of the road, received pronunciation, and that's because of my schooling, where I went to school. I was at boarding school. Ah, heavens. But my heritage, my father was Scots Irish, and my mother is English Welsh. So I truly am a product of all of the home nations. But I've always been militantly Scottish in outlook. And a key part to being Scottish in outlook is having a strong distaste for the English. And so I've traditionally supported anybody against England, ABE, anybody but England. <laughs> now, add to that the fact that I'm one of the few people of these Scepted Isles that really doesn't care about football. I, I understand it. I know the rules. As a youngster, I was reasonably interested in football, as sort of everybody in the UK was to a certain extent. But I, I just find the game very dull. There are lots of elements to it that I really dislike. There's lots of play acting. and It's just not my game. However, uh, in these uh, difficult times, you know, COVID-19, or is it 20 or 21 or 20, I, I don't know. It's lovely to see the world getting enthused about something. Uh, and certainly the UK... England specifically has been getting very enthused about this because they're they're doing well. They they well as we record, they have just proceeded to the final, where they will be playing Italy, which is going to be interesting in my household. Anyway, mm, very much. We went to some friends around the corner who are all English, and we had fish and chips, that sort of uh, typical English meal. I always thought it was egg and chips that everybody over abroad has. <laughs> yeah, well, there is a lot of that as well. That's, that's very Spanish egg and chip. It was fish and chips in front of the TV. I, I took Carlsberg because England were playing Denmark, so I thought we'd take a nice Danish beer. <laughs> you really have that anything but England. 
Yeah, I mean, in fairness, as, as I've got a bit older, I'm I'm really not. I'm I, I'm mellowed, so I, I like to see England do well. So I have lots of friends and colleagues who are English who are you know, really excited, and you know there are songs being written. The whole country is behind them. You know all that sort of good stuff. So I'm quite enjoying the fact that uh, England are through to the final, particularly as they're playing Italy. And of course, my wife is Italian, but Italian born in England and brought up in England. So she's on a complete sort of win-win. Doesn't matter what happens on Sunday. Mm -hmm. Although I think secretly her preference will be Italy to win. Ah, there you are. Well, I'm sure we could follow up next week and find out who won. They will indeed. I, I dare say, I dare say the listener will already know, but uh, <laughs> we are, we are here in, uh, uh, at Lennon Towers, if I can call it that, the mountain hideaway. We are going to have a Pims and pizza party. So Pims for the English, pizza for the Italians. And uh, we'll all have a jolly time watching the football and I'll shout things that I suppose you're supposed to shout. Uh, does that mean yelling and swearing at the TV? Because I think that's what most English people do when it gets full of pressure. Is that is that correct? Yeah, that does seem to be the sort of standard thing. Um, there is quite a lot of yelling. And I can confirm that the Italians are just as bad as the English. They get terribly impassioned by it all. And uh, there's obviously with the Italians, there's lots of hand-waving goes on as well. I love watching people have a good time. So the fact that I don't particularly like football doesn't matter that much. And I will, I will drop into, into, uh, into role and be, be a loud voice for Italy because uh, we're going to be outnumbered by the, the English significantly. And uh, marital bliss re requires that. Well, indeed, yes. I'm, I'm brave, but I'm not that brave. Mm. So, um, yep, I will be Italian firmly. But truth be told, I don't care who wins. I, I hope it's a good game. Let's move back on to our pens. What is your pen and ink of the week? Uh, pen and ink of the wink is a a Pilot Custom 823. This is the amber version. It's a demonstrator pen, so you can see through it. Have you got a Pilot Custom? I imagine you must have a Pilot Custom. I do. I have the amber with a fine nib, and it is absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, they are lovely pens. Um, really, really reliable. Very good writers. I've got the broad nib, just because, well, I suppose that sums you and I up. But it's a Japanese broad, so it's probably closer to a European medium, in my view. And I've filled it with another one of those music inks from Diamine. So this is Bach, um, which is, curiously, it sort of matches the pen. It's amber. Uh, it's an amber brown. Oh, very nice. And yeah, it's lovely to rediscover this. I've got it in my hand now. I'm feeling the weight of it. It's a, it's a proper pen. It's a weighty pen when it's full of ink. It's a weighty pen, but the balance on it is fantastic. Yeah. And in common with a couple of the pens that I've been using of late, it's got a massive reservoir, so I'm going to have to write a lot of stuff to get through this. Uh, that broad nib will get you through that in no time, but uh, the, the 823 is a vacuum filler, so it's a little different than the piston fills that you've used before, but it certainly has a large ink capacity. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, the one thing that I learned, if anybody does look at 823s and go, wow, these are cool, you have to actually unscrew the back to write. Otherwise, you create a vacuum in there and all of a sudden you run out of ink. Yeah, yeah, it's that little, um, it's, it's like a safety cap, isn't it? Yeah, uh, which means it, it doesn't make a mess if it leaks anywhere. It is limited in how much capacity it actually has. So it's a great travel pen as well. Really, really useful pen. Yeah, I'm just, as ever, I'm just writing my signature with it now. Oh, <laughs> what about you? What are you using? 
I am using a Platinum Kanazawa Haku fountain pen. This is a Mackie pen. It's an inexpensive Mackie, so I'm assuming it's a mass-produced version of it uh, with the moon and the rabbit. It's a thin pen, uh, so not usually one of my favorite hand grips. I tend to prefer a thicker pen, but I absolutely love this pen for a couple of reasons. One, it has a absolutely gorgeous 18-karat fine nib on there, so it's a gold nib, which writes just beautifully. More than anything, I bought this pen because it has a personal meaning to me. Uh, I, one of my tattoos is actually uh, the moon and the rabbit. And so this pen I bought because I have the tattoo. Uh -huh. And yes, I am that much of a geek. So, and that tattoo was, well, this whole story there it, uh, in, involves um, uh, going out for a long Harley ride, coming back to a clubhouse and waking up the next morning going, why is the inside of my arm a little sore? Uh, but anyway, we will go there. <laughs> Uh, this is filled with a Robert Oster gold antiqua. So I was trying to match the gold of the pen itself. The outside of that has a white rabbit. It has the sort of white moon, but all of the details, all the brushes, the, the grasses are done in this wonderful gold. And I thought it would be really nice to match something to that. The gold antiqua not as free flowing as a lot of Robert Oster's stuff. So I find the pen a little bit drier than it normally does. I've used this pen quite a few times, but I haven't used it in a while. So it was nice to break it out and try it again. Not the greatest experience with this ink, but the ink is rather lovely in a gold, maybe a little bit more on the greenish gold side, but it makes it very, very readable on the page. In fact, I've been using it for business all week. So a uh, good combination. And if you're into, if you're like me and you have a tattoo that you uh, don't remember getting, um, just look around and see if you can find a pen to match it. And there's definitely an episode there. I think we've got to have a tattoos episode. Oh, that's a long episode. <laughs> okay. Maybe we'll have several because I'm, I'm considering, a, considering a tattoo myself. Uh, you've not got one any, anywhere still? No, I have a couple. Okay. But um, I'm looking at, I'm probably going to, you, you'd understand this. I'm sure you've done this. I'm, I'm looking at sort of subsuming current tattoos into a new tattoo. Mm-hmm. Ah, uh, yes. But yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm musing at the moment. I'm at the musing stage. And the current Mrs. L is not a tattoo fan. So I have to be sure <laughs> before I go down this road, I think. <laughs> ah, anyway, what are we talking about today? We want to talk about the power of no. One little word has so much power. How does that relate to productivity, I guess? If you can control what you say no to, and more importantly, what you do not say yes to, your ability to control your productivity and your stress level, your overload level is hugely controlled. Uh, do you ever feel overloaded? Do you ever feel like you've got too much on your plate? Did you ever take on too much? Usually it comes down to us not being able to say no. Uh, Stu, have you ever felt that way? Or is it just me? Uh, no, absolutely do I feel that way. I mean, frequently. Right now, in fact, uh, I suppose I'm one of those rare beasts that I got busier and busier as the world got quieter and quieter. Mm-hmm. And part of that was the inability to say no. So 
my consultancy company does okay. <laughs> um, it's, I have a few clients that I, that I do work for. And as the uh, pandemic swept through uh, the world and, and these businesses were, were forced to close for long periods of time, I lost a client or two, which was you know, mm-hmm. a little bit concerning, but completely understandable. Um, I did my best to help out my other clients, you know, giving them sort of invoice holidays and, and that type of thing. But then, you know, as, as some moved on, some more came in. So actually things stayed reasonably static, but at the same time, an old friend was asking me whether I would help out with, uh, with his business. And I thought, well, you know, I've got some time on my hands. I might have a lot of time on my hands, who knows? But actually, so I went through a sort of thinking process and then just put that thinking aside. I went, no, no, it'll be fine. I'll do it. What could go wrong? Exactly. So I'm, I'm kind of in a bind of my own making mm-hmm. where I have said yes to too much. And at the same time, there's the, the elements of my life that I do because I really love them. Podcasting would be one of those. Uh, writing would be another. Nero's Notes is essentially a hobby. It's, um, it's, it is a business. It's just not a business that makes very much money. So um, I give my time free to that business. Um, and suddenly now I'm finding myself in a position where I go, okay, so I, I have to start making choices about what I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's because I was struggling to say no, I think. What about you? Is it something that you're sort of currently in? Is it something that you're experiencing or are you on top of things right now? I don't want to say on top of things. I, like you, am in a place where I'm busy. I'm very busy. I've noticed that with deciding to put a move on top of that. Mm -hmm. That's kind of pushed me over the edge uh, in terms of comfortably busy that I enjoy to busy that I wake up in the middle of the night thinking, oh, I've got to do this and I've got to do this. Nothing that is actionable and not taken care of, but it is a little stressful. I find that a couple of things have fallen off and I'm trying to be a little comfortable with myself to accept that some things at this time in my life may not get done. And those, again, are personal things that I love doing. Writing is the big one. I'm not writing anywhere near as much and as consistently as I I used to do. But I do do things. I enjoy my podcasting. That's a real passion of mine. The jobby job, well, that's something that you just have to do. That's a choice that I've made and I enjoy what I do, which makes it really easy to put aside your time for that. But certainly on the personal front, as things are starting to open up, I'm realizing there's more and more things now that could take my time. And that is uh, an awkward part to be in. Mm-hmm. I, I can't suddenly go back and say, oh, no, I've, I, I don't really want to sell my house. Um, so we're just going to stay here. That that's sailed. <laughs> so, you know, there, there are some things that, you know, you make the choice and you just have to ride out. But certainly I'm looking at that and I need to be very, very protective of my time at the moment. You know, even from last week, everything opened up here. So you can now uh, meet people for a networking type lunch, you know, people that I haven't had a beer with in, you know, 15, 18 months, I can now go and have a beer with them. But is that the best thing to do right now? 
uh, that's where it comes into the power of saying no and the power of being extremely selective. That comes also from a business front as well. What else do I take on? And one of the goals of this show is to talk about working for another company. Somebody else controls the timing. How do we manage working in a job and also saying no? Because I think that's really important as well. And that's one of the places that can certainly add a lot of stress. So Stu, how do you say no to people? You've put your finger on it. It's, it's hugely challenging if you're not in charge. If you're not the boss, then I guess the, the whole dynamic of being the boss is that you say to people, do this, and they should say yes. So how do you deal with a boss that's asking you to do things that you don't have capacity for? The classic answer, which uh, I'm sure has come from many, many management theorists, is to sort of counter a request to do more with another question. So, Stuart, would you be able to take on the management of this issue? Yes, David, I would be able to do that. However, which of the following projects do you think I should stop doing? So making it clear that there is a cost to taking on more work, i.e. we all have you know limited amount of capacity. And if you are stretched, then you don't have time for more projects. Something has to give. And certainly if employees have said to me in the past, Yep, I can do that, but it means I wouldn't be able to do this. That's given me pause for thought because I suppose I'm guilty as many people are of just assuming that people will keep saying yes to me until they're unable to, to, to actually accede to my wishes. And that's a really dangerous thing to do as a boss, incidentally. But that I've found some success with that method where people have said to me, so Stuart, could you, could you do this? Yes, but. Is is very powerful because yes, but is a really nice way of saying no. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And bosses don't like the word no. They're pretty keen on yes. And but is enough to make them think. So I think that's what you have to be able to do is, is give a realistic assessment of how much time you have available. And this isn't, you know, could you empty the bins? <laughs> this is if somebody's asking you to take on a project that you know is going to require time and, and therefore stretch you uh, elsewhere. So that's the easiest way to do it. And I think increasingly bosses are pretty good, uh, in my experience at least, of understanding workflow, particularly now in these sort of work from home times. They've kind of forced an element of trust where companies have to, to regard their employees as you know sensible people who can manage their own time and their own deadlines around, you know, the requirements of this sort of slightly weird world we've been living in. What about you? Have you found a method to say no that's effective? In order to say no, you really have to understand what's on your plate. Hmm. And I think that's where the idea of, again, I'm, I'm going to come back to starting at the basics, a weekly review to know what you need to do for any time frame. So that the discussion you have isn't panicked. It's not, uh, but, 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 you know, I, I've got to do this, but uh, what about this? And what about that? Most bosses will understand there are competing priorities. Uh, you know, I do as well for, for my staff, not everything, unfortunately can ever be when you'd like it, because as a boss, 
you pretty much want everything. As soon as you come up with the idea, you want to have that in your hand and you want to have the changes done and you don't want it to take any time at all. But really understanding what that is. Now that does involve as a boss, an element of trust in trusting that your people are going to tell you and communicate with you when they hit a point that they are feeling overwhelmed. One of the big challenges of overwhelm that I've seen for staff is if you put too much stuff on somebody's plate as a boss, you will end up overwhelming those people and overwhelm usually in my experience goes to non-action. People just stop and don't do anything because there's too many mm -hmm. things they could be doing. So maybe they're touching this spinning wheel and this spinning wheel and this spinning wheel. But at the end of the day, nothing really gets interpreted. So I think uh, as, as a boss, one needs to look at things and give adequate timelines and invite discussion. Here's what I need you to do. This is a thing that I need that you are the best capable, the best knowledge, the best person to do this task. And I would like it by this. Can you do that? What else is impacted? If you change that, you can really build up that level of communication to the point where you can have an honest discussion. Sometimes as bosses, we tend to get in the point of just throwing everything out there to the wind and making somebody else make up that decision of what comes first. On the other side, as Stu said, is really being able to have that open and honest conversation when you start feeling in that, okay, you've got me working on this, this needs to be done. And you know, in a lot of cases, um, the bosses don't know what you do day to day. And I probably shouldn't do because if you have a boss that is micromanaging your time to that level, that's probably not a great work environment for you. What you need to do is focus on what the key most value producing elements of your work are to generate those first. If those are going to be impacted, then I think understanding here's where my timeline is on all of these other things. Here's something new that you want me to do. What is the most important thing? The end of the day though, bosses are people too. And sometimes they have hot buttons. Sometimes they have other people to report to that you may or may not understand or, or have visibility on. And sometimes you may just have to juggle things as well, but certainly having the discussion first, you make sure that if anything else is going to drop, you are on the same page as far as that goes. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's important to be realistic. So. I had an example today where one of my higher ups in the jobby job, we had a scheduled meeting in that meeting, he requested a report today. Now my instinctive reaction to that normally would be you're dreaming. You know, <laughs> I have time scheduled. I do different things. There's no way in the world that I'm going to be able to turn that around for you. However, just by asking some questions, it became apparent to me that this is something that's landed on this person and it's come from higher up the chain. I don't think it's particularly the way that he wanted things to happen, <laughs> but he's, he's kind of in a bind. And so at that point you have to be realistic and go, okay, how can I facilitate this request? Whether it be reasonable or unreasonable, because 
uh, what are you doing? You're, you're, you're banking capital with that person mm-hmm. because he probably knows that he's asking something. And you turn around and go, okay, yeah, look, I will need to shift this or do that, do that, but no problem. I'll have this back to you, you know, in, in an hour, in two hours, whatever it might be. And that's a sensible and realistic way to, to manage things. And I think provides capital in that relationship for you going forward, where you can talk to that person about, look, you will try and help him or her, but they have to understand that you have a degree of commitment and commitments that you have to honor. I think it helps. It's something that I struggle with or was struggling with. I don't think I do so much anymore was, and this is, um, I'm going to refer back to the focus course Academy again, that I'm, <laughs> I'm doing with, with Blanc media, the sweet setup. Use uh, Stu Lennon's referral code here. <laughs> exactly. I should definitely put one somewhere, shouldn't I? The, the thing that really helped me is that the starting point for the focus course is to look at values. So who are you? What do you want to be? Because from all elements of your life, there will be requirements. You know, you might be, uh, you might be a partner in a relationship. You might be a parent. You might have people who rely upon you, I don't know, at church. You might have people with whom you play a sport in a team, all sorts of different roles that you fulfill in your life. And as Justin is discovering, occasionally those roles will leap up and turn into something huge, like we're going to move. And it's like, okay, that wasn't something I saw coming because, you know, I dare say Justin is discovering that it takes multiple hours of time and attention to, to facilitate that type of thing. Likewise, all of my projects and all of Justin's projects and all of your projects are things that require time. And okay, I put aside a certain amount of time to, to podcast. I put aside a certain amount of time to golf. I put aside a certain amount of time to walk the dogs. I put aside a certain amount of time to do project A, project B. And you're always balancing those things because sometimes, you know, your significant other needs, needs you to drop something. And okay, it's easy to turn around and say, well, I'll just drop the golf because that's recreation. But actually these things have domino effects. And understanding your values and what, who you want to be is very important in informing those decisions ultimately about when to say no. So when you're able to say, yep, I could stay until 10 o'clock tonight to finish this project, sir, but I'm a father and my kids need me. So sure, I can do it for you, but it will have to be tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And that's a value decision that you're making that, you know, being a parent is as important to you, if not more important to you than saying yes to this person. Now, of course, there's all sorts of, (laughs) of calculations that go into that. But I think if you've taken the time to work through your values and who you want to be, then it's much easier to make those decisions about when to say yes and when to say no. And that's something that I've really taken from from the course that I've done um, and that I'm now trying to apply to my life where I, I do personally find that if there is a correct amount of hours to have scheduled in a week, I've got maybe 10 too many. <laughs> That's about normal these days, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't have, again, going back to a concept that we talk a lot about in the course, margin. Margin is that little space that you have in your day for those things that come up. 
when, you know, a meeting that should be 30 minutes takes two hours. When Justin and I are both, well, I would say pet owners, but I think the, the pets probably own us. And, you know, if they require a trip to the vet, then they require a trip to the vet. <laughs> That's just the way it is. So having some margin in your life, I think goes a long way to reducing the amount of stress that you experience when things, well, life happens. Definitely. Uh, speaking of pets, can you give me just one sec? The dog is howling. She wants to come sit on my lap. <laughs> Fantastic. I'll be right back. You see my point perfectly illustrated. Time back plus one puppy. Ah, well, there we go. Is when, the, when the dog requires attention, the dog requires attention. I don't know. Are yours needy? Uh, like mine has almost separation anxiety at the moment. <laughs> oh, or she won't sit on her own when she knows somebody else is in the house. Uh, are my dogs needy? So yesterday I was, what was I doing? I was at the back of my house and I was just trimming down some trees that were getting a little bit excitable and, you know, sort of growing, growing and taking over the world, if you like. And I spotted the Jack Russell, Charlie. He'd managed to get himself on top of one of the walls at the back of the property because he is a bit of a daredevil. He's the special forces dog of the family. <laughs> And he was just wandering up there and I shouted something reasonably abusive at him um, in the hope that he would then come down. But actually he, I, I don't know what he did. He maybe abseiled or something, but he found some way of getting out of the yard. And I noticed this by his absence. Uh oh. So as all good dog owners do, um, I just panicked and went looking for him in all sorts of different, but I thought, okay, maybe he's gone to the dog down the street because, you know, there's been a dog howling, maybe, oh no, what if he's gone down there? Okay, I'll go and check that. And yeah, through a, a reasonable amount of logical deduction, I worked out that he hadn't gone in these directions because there were puppies sort of sleeping and they wouldn't be sleeping if the Jack Russell had just gone past. So I came back and eventually went back to the point where I last saw him with the, uh, the magic that works on all dogs, the treat tin, and uh, rattled that and suddenly he emerged. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating, Justin, when I say that he was more burr than he was dog. Oh, he'd been right into the grasses in there. Oh, wow. I mean, he was, it took me an hour and a half with a wire brush to, to, to get the majority out of this. Isn't he called a wired haired terrier? Yes. Yes. Uh, that's obviously the reason for it. <laughs> yeah, well, honestly, it was absolute chaos. And all of this happened while Mrs. Lennon was having a nap and then she woke up to, uh, to contribute, which was largely uh, explaining to me how I was inadequate as a pet, pet owner, but he was suitably chastened by this. And so then we went out to the, to the football as previously mentioned, and we came home and then I think he cornered a cat under my car. Now, the thing about cats in Cyprus is that they all wear leather jackets, smoke a lot of cigarettes and are completely un phased by anything. These are cats that go and take out venomous snakes for fun. Oh God. So a little Jack Russell barking, eventually <laughs> this cat just got annoyed and, and struck out. And this was all happening in the dark. My wife was, was going hysterical and yeah, up he limped bleeding, having, having been bested by this cat, or it could have been an iguana. I don't know what it was, but, um, he, he was bleeding from his leg. Oh, poor Charlie. 
<laughs> so I did all the things. Essentially, I checked to see if it was a puncture wound that could have come from, you know, something nastier than a cat or an iguana. And it wasn't, thankfully. Um, and he's absolutely fine. But yeah, he's, um, Spice, the, the, the Cypress poodle is very chilled. She, she doesn't care about much, to be honest. She, she's the princess, but very self-sufficient. Charlie, left alone, he can be fine or he can just chew stuff. So, uh, separation anxiety is his thing as well. Um, I have to sort of work quite hard to make sure he's tired mm -hmm. before, uh, before we go out anyway. But yeah, anybody that owns animals, this is what they do. You know, they get hurt, they get sick. I mean, in Cyprus, they, you know, there's a risk of poisoning all the time. And oh my gosh. So, you, you know, I'm, I'm sort of perpetually on edge about, about the dogs. And if, if you fear that, you know, your dog has been bitten by a snake or something, you, you don't hang around and say, oh, hang on, I've got a Microsoft Teams meeting. You, you go. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why I think having some margin in your life is really important so that you can handle these things. Oh, good turnaround. Right back to topic. Uh, well, there you go, you see. Um, it, it, it's really, really important to me because I've been struggling with it recently. So I, I'm aware that, uh, you know, people in the jobby job are going, well, there's not much happening. And I'm going, okay, well, there's not much happening because of COVID and lockdowns and stuff and it is really frustrating more for me than it is for you trust me because of that i'm not going to sort of sit here and attend endless teams meetings i want to try and you know do things that work no role playing on a friday afternoon huh well you know they're, they're just you know there's a tendency in, in in corporates to to fill time and if uh you know if there's nothing productive to do fine do something that's unproductive um, i just don't understand i'm like no i've got plenty of things i can be doing mm -hmm. As you said, you made a very good point. If you feel overwhelmed, as I have um, of late, then rather than not achieving as much as I would like to do, I achieve nothing. And it's only by sort of winding back and saying, okay, hang on, whoa, right? There are effectively 20 bosses here. Like it's a to-do list, but each one of those to-dos is a boss saying, can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? I'm going to take a deep breath and work out what to say no to. Now that might be, no, I can't do it today, or it might be, no, I can't do it at all. But what I am going to make is an index card that has a maximum of 10 things on it that I am going to do today. Mm -hmm. And that's saying yes and saying no. And that's sort of helped me out. And I'm now trying to, to work out how I'm going to apply that because um, I again used a favorite phrase of both of ours. David Sparks from Matt Powell always talks about if this is what you do to pay for your shoes, there is an element of that. Jobby job stuff pays for the shoes. Yeah, it certainly does. Uh, much though I'd rather play golf or, or indeed podcast, sometimes you've got to make the money to pay the shoes. Mm -hmm. One one thought that I did have when we were talking is the the power of no also is a positive thing as well because there is nothing worse than a job rushed and half done and as a boss i'm sure you've seen that in the past where it was okay you did this but for the quality that i've got i might as well have just done it myself mm -hmm. and i know for myself when i get to that point where i run out of margin there is a tendency to do things that you continue to do. Um, I'm thinking particularly a few years ago, I was on the management team of a club that I was in. 
And what I found was that I was getting pushed and pushed and pushed. You know, you say yes to these things in the moment. And all of a sudden you realize that I don't have the time or the energy that comes with that commitment. And unfortunately you start looking at it and saying, ah, oh, I'll, I'll do it next week. I'll do it next week. More Next week I'll have more time. And things just start to slip. And that's a really bad spot as well. One of the beauties of the power of no is realizing when you've got to that point, just because you said yes at one point doesn't mean that's a perpetual contract. Sometimes you can change your mind and that's okay as well. I, I, did you ever get into that where you have to, you've said yes to something and then you've had to look at it and go, you know what, I really can't do this well and, and back away from it too. Yeah, I mean, I think the, uh, you know, the balance that you're talking about is, is difficult to to manage as things change. So things that you said yes to, you know, a couple of months ago because it seemed fine, can can now increasingly become difficult. So I've I've had to look at the frequency to which I um, I post to my blog, and say, okay, I've established a rhythm that I post twice a week, but actually I can't guarantee that second post anymore because of something else that I've said yes to. And and as you say, you do that appraisal, which, which is the most important, which do I have to do? And it is very liberating to, to be honest, you know, first of all with yourself and say, okay, actually, is there too much here? Do I have to stop doing something or change the way that I do it? And then being honest with the other people in that equation, if there are any. So again, this is a luxury that you can probably very easily do with side hustles and with leisure and possibly with your significant other harder to do with your boss you can't turn around and say oh well actually i'm, I'm just too busy socially to do any work that that tends to go down quite badly yes i i have had it i try not to do it obviously with clients there are things that you know if you've taken on a client you're helping your client you, you can't suddenly not be available but certainly there's enough discretionary things in my uh, in my sort of working week for me to say, actually, you know, the, the sort of importance that I've attached to this is, is artificial. It's not really important. You know, to a certain extent, you know, does, does, does anybody die if I don't do this thing? Mm -hmm. And for, for the vast majority of us, the answer is no, nobody does. And so you can reassess and rejig the, the, the word that's most important, I think is, is to be honest with yourself initially. Yeah, very much. It's very easy to get stuck in that trap of doing too much, perhaps not putting in your best effort and getting to the point where you've realized you've overcommitted. Uh, do you use a, any sort of quota, uh, in terms of your personal life? Uh, because obviously that's a little harder to do in a, in a business and a professional goal. Let's say you're consulting. Do you have a quota of how many clients you could reasonably service to the level that you would like to at one point? I mean, I think no, formally I don't, but informally because my consultancy is, it's not hourly. I don't charge hourly, but my pricing is based upon an expectation of how much time I'm going to spend on a client. Mm -hmm. And I've always said, if I'm, if I'm budgeting more than half of a working day, so if I was saying, you know, I'm going to do four hours a day and actual client work, that's probably the maximum I could do. 
because behind that four hours, there's a lot of admin, there's a lot of planning, which takes up the other, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight hours. So I wouldn't, if I was billing more than four hours a day, I would be concerned. I would, I mean, it can be solved, you know, you can, you can hire, you can change the way you do things with them. I'm not saying I would say no, but that's always been a sort of backstop in my consultancy business in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm already doing four hours a day client work, then doing any more is going to be a stretch and something is going to have to give somewhere. What about you? Do you have any quotas that you, you apply? Uh, not as such. And it was actually part of the reason that I wanted to talk about this uh, with life opening up. I used to have quotas when the world was normal and they have sort of slipped and I've kind of developed informal quotas. I think like you, my quotas are based on time blocks. There are certain things, you know, the morning is my personal time. The day is my jobby job time. And then in the evening I have blocks of time that I fill in over the week. And I have to be very careful to not fill in too many of those, uh, you know, podcasting and podcast editing certainly takes a couple of chunks of those evenings. You know, there's two evenings a week that I know two to three evenings a week that I know I'm going to be spending my margin time, the time that I have available to do additional work on podcasting and you know that's me as a fussy editor and how i like to edit Uh, but i hopefully will put out a a decent product that people will want to listen to and that the sound quality won't be offensive to anybody so that that's me uh writing uh there are things around the house that i must do on particular nights and those are long enough that i consider that part of my time block that is one of my quota blocks if you like and obviously spending time with my family is one of those as well so i'm when i do that i really find that i have you know maybe one evening a week at best as free time in my margin and when you look at something like i'm packing up my house to move that goes pretty quickly. Mm. So I, I don't have a lot of spare margin at the moment, and it certainly makes me feel a little uncomfortable. Uh, part of the reason that I thought this would be a very good discussion to have. Uh, one of the tricks that I've done in the past is to never agree to anything in the moment. Now, that is for a personal favor, whether that's a dinner, whether that's a, hey, buddy, let's go for a beer and uh, catch up, you know, for somebody that you enjoy spending time with. I never tend to agree to those in the moment. I always want to take a look and see what is the impact on, on my calendar? What is the amount of margin that this obligation will take? And once you get a little bit of distance in there, the ability to say no doesn't make you feel anywhere near as bad. Uh, do you do anything like that, Stu? Um, I try to. Um, I'm, I suppose par- partially I'm being taught to by my wife, mm. who doesn't demand that I, I run things through her, but she does point out that it makes her feel better if I do. And I have to say that she, d- she does sort of retain things better than I do. <laughs> so um, where, where I've got a tendency to turn around and go, yeah, let's do that. She'll go, okay, yeah, we can do that. But you realize that you're getting up at 0500 tomorrow to walk the dogs so that you can go and play that ridiculous game that you play early in the morning. And I think, hmm, okay, you know, getting together with an old buddy and drinking maybe 
I don't know, maybe one beer too many is probably not a great idea the night before getting up at five in the morning. So that type of thing. Uh, I'm, I'm quite hedonistic in my nature. So I'm always likely to say yes to anything that's gregarious. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, let's do that. That's good. But uh, as you say, sometimes it's not the right thing to do. And the ability just to turn around and go, yeah, that sounds a fantastic idea. Let me come back to you. Just, I, I think, is a really good way of not of seeking permission from anyone else, but seeking permission from yourself. Because the process of assessing whether going out for a beer with that person is the right thing to do adds value to it. Because if you decide, do you know what? The most important thing is to meet Justin for a beer then you're going to go and have that beer without feeling guilty. Yeah. Whereas if you've said yes without consideration, then you're going to be having that beer with Justin thinking, well, actually, I should be editing that podcast. Or I've got to do the thinking about that report. Or I should be doing that in the yard or, you know, wh whatever it might be. And a saying no means that you say yes with more enthusiasm. Does that make sense? I think that's exactly what I was trying to get at, Stu. I think you said that very, very well. When you're there, you are completely there. That is the most important thing that you're doing because you have allocated some of your margin, which again is a, a thought process that you really want to look at. And you, you, you now attribute more value to what you're doing than if you had just said, yes, let's do it. And, you know, let's go going out for a beer is never a hard sell. But certainly when you're already pushing the edges of your margin, when you have not just a, a jobby job commitment, but you actually have side hustles and yeah, all that, all those wonderful things that we actually enjoy doing when you have hobbies, when you have, when you're involved in sports, when you have a wife, uh, I was actually laughing a little bit, uh, when you were talking about seeking permission, I was getting ready for podcasting this morning and we have changed our day of the week that we're recording. Mm -hmm. So we moved it up a day and my wife uh, had not checked the calendar yet, which it is on. I made sure last week and was asking, is it in the calendar? Yes, honey. And I told you last week, honey. Uh, but uh, yeah, she was uh, a little less than nonplussed. I realized I've got garbage to take out to the curb and all that stuff on the same morning that we're doing now. Mm -hmm. Easy to, easy to do, uh, but certainly it took a little bit more thought process for today than it did on our old day. So the change from my wife communicating that change and making sure it's the most important thing. Again, make sure, make sure you do that. It, it was something that we did, but yes, even with that, you know, my wife's getting up rushing to get to work and certainly that was a, that was something that she hadn't thought about and hadn't considered. So my change, my change in margin, my change in days affected her and in, in a way that uh, I hadn't really considered. So always good to say no to something until you think about it and then say yes. Yeah. I didn't do that for Stu last week. Domino effects, domino effects. Exactly. You know, the more you can spend in the moment, the less stressful any activity is, whether or not it's productive. Being productive doesn't mean that you are doing something every day, every moment, every, every waking moment, you're, uh, wh what do they call it? The hustle, uh, Gary V and his type of 
management philosophy. You're always hustling. Mm -hmm. I tend not to agree there because I, I see diminishing returns in the hustle. You know, you can work all the time, but I don't necessarily think you're as effective after 15 hours a day as you are after two hours a day. Uh, not that you just want to stop at two hours a day, but you want to find that sweet spot for each and every one of us. I'm a firm believer in put in the quality hard work when you need it that is planned and agreed and to rest and recuperate in those in-between times to schedule things that need to be done. What about you, Stu? Uh, you're not into the hustle movement, I think. You know, we touched on on the importance of rest and recuperation last time. I, I think I was. I was, you know, running my own business, uh, with, you know, with my partner, we, we were building a business from nothing and, you know, we were having a terrific time, but we were working you know, huge amounts of hours and we were able, I think, to say to each other, look, hang on, that the whole point of doing this is to be in control of our own destinies. And if the work is the thing in control, then we're not doing it right. Mm -hmm. So we were able then to, to, to wind back and don't get me wrong. It, it, it didn't become part-time, but he was able to say to me next week, uh, you know, he, he has hobbies and he, he would say to me next week, I'm away doing that for, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Okay, great. Go. If, if I need you, I'll call you, but you know, you're on holiday, you're doing your thing. It's great. And the ability for both of us to do that, I think made us much, much more productive. I think it's probably Cal Newport. You, you'll know better than I, but somebody wrote, if what you want to do is to sit and watch Netflix for two hours, then watching Netflix for two hours is the most productive use of your time because you're, you're doing what you intend to do. You've, you've thought about it. You've made a plan. Boom. That's what productivity is. It's not working 18 hours a day. It's doing things intentionally, mindfully that you want to do, either because they move things forward or because they help with your rest and recuperate, whatever it might be. And it's, yeah, it's really easy to forget that and find yourself doing a lot of things that you think are important and productive just because, well, everybody else tells you they're important and productive. Mm -hmm. I do believe that's Chris Bailey that said that. There we go, Chris Bailey. See, I knew you'd know. Yeah, what can I say? I'm a geek. <laughs> so what's your, what's your key takeaway, do you think, Justin? Say no. Say it with confidence and feel good about it. But don't always say it as a no. Uh -huh. You know, phrase it in a way that makes sense. But be firm on what your boundaries are. Understand what your boundaries are. And if it is something that you are not going to be able to do well because you're rushing it, make sure you have a plan to juggle what you, you need to do. But but be, feel free to say no in a positive way. For sure. Good advice. How about you? Uh, do the work on your values. Work out who you want to be. Work out who you are. In order to be able to say yes to the things that are important to you, you need to be able to say no to the things that aren't. That's deep, Stu. Hey, I'll tell you what, the importance, the importance really of no is the ability that it gives you to say yes, because I look back now, I'm, I'm not 130, but I'm, you know, there's a five at the start of my age and I look back at things and think, you know, I wish I'd taken the time to focus on the things that are actually important rather than the things that I thought were important. 
um, or thoughtlessly assumed were important, perhaps more, more absolutely. So decide what your values are and use those values to constrain your decisions. So if, you know, Wednesday, Thursday night are your family nights where you're going to have date night or you're going to spend time with the kids or whatever it might be, you know, protect that time, defend it. Because, you know, ultimately those kids will grow up and, and be gone. You, you can't get that time back. Uh, whereas, you know, that report, there'll always be time to write another report. All right. I just have one point of clarification. Uh, I have a 17-year-old in the house. There's a certain point they'll grow up, but they're not gone. <laughs> well, the, the the great thing in the UK, I think, is is boomerangs, isn't it? Where where they go and come back. Yeah, probably. Uh, no, I, I mean that in the nicest possible way. But in in some ways, uh, a seventeen year old so is so tuned out to what is of little importance to them in the family. You know, um, they're more happy. You know, I remember what I was like at seventeen. I it's it's normal. You know, your your focuses on your friends and all the rest of it for sure. Uh, but at some times, you kind of look at it and say, "Are you leaving yet? When, when are you planning to move out?" <laughs> I, I'm just kidding. I, I love her, and uh, I'm really glad to have her at home. Fantastic. All right, Stu. Where can people find you on the internet? Uh, well, you can find me at Twitter at Stu Lennon, or you can find me at StuartLennon.com, my blog where I write. Or you can track me down at nerosnotes.co.uk, where we sell lovely stationery. What about you, Justin? Where can people find you? You can find me at justintwyford.com, which I'm hoping to get some writing to later this week. Uh, write Experience, where I am writing up a little bit about my pen and ink of the week. So if you're interested in seeing the Mackier pen from this week, uh, please go to writeexperience.com. And of course, you can find links to everything that we do at stationaryadjacent.com. Uh, how's Sean going, Stuart? Uh, he's going okay, yeah. So uh, Sean is the working title of my my debut novel, which has been hanging around for years now, which, as Justin pointed out, I am publishing sort of draft scenes on stuartlandon.com in the members section. So members of the website are essentially able to get the book as it's written or as it's edited might be fairer. And at the end of it, I'm hoping that I will stop being precious and the whole thing will have been published. I will tidy it all up, turn it into a magnificent book. And I don't know, go and buy a Caribbean island and retire on my ill-gotten gains. <laughs> uh, so if you're interested in reading it, it is a great read. Uh, Stu also narrates it in his members only podcast. Please go to his website, stuartlennon.com for a very small amount of money. You can keep Stu in technology and pencils and <laughs> notes to keep writing all of these uh, wonderful things. So far, there's been a couple of installments out and I'm really enjoying it. And just thought I would share that in case anybody's interested in reading what we talk about here. That's very kind of you, Justin. Thank you very much. You're welcome. If you like what we do, please like and review us on your podcast catcher of choice. And we certainly appreciate your recommendations to your friends and colleagues. If you think that we talk about stuff that could be of value, uh, friends and colleagues, I was so proud of myself, uh, yesterday I was in the office and a good friend and colleague of mine showed me that he has broken down and bought a pencil case. <sighs> I introduced him to the joys of pens a couple of years back and, uh, I'm so proud I've broken him. <laughs> another, another one to the addiction. Yeah. If you're listening, Dan, I great to have you on board. Thank you.
<laughs> All right. Our next topic is personal retreats and reflection. This is a little bit of a follow-up over last week. We decided to split the sabbatical section into two parts. This is more the personal retreats and reflection part of that. So we'll talk about that next time. Until then, goodbye and stay productive. Yes, us.